Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to the Genuine Humans podcast. And of course, I'm here with my lovely co-host, Wendy. Wendy, how are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, I'm really well today. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling a bit more sort of in a safer space in terms of my cat with the incident yesterday with my cat trying to drink out of my water glass. I've actually got water in a in a, a bottle today, so we shouldn't have <laughs> any safer. shouldn't have any incidents today. I'm delighted that we are being joined today by Milamo Banji, who is the founder of Tappin. And Milamo, welcome to the podcast, firstly. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you so much. I've been listening to podcasts for the last couple of months now, and uh, it's a real pleasure and an honour to be on, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, that's wonderful. And we first met, I think it was a year ago, at an Agency Nomics event where we were both speaking, and I think I just thought you were incredible. I thought Tappin is incredible, and so I'm just delighted that you're here. No, honestly, I remember your session so vividly, and... It was a struggle to find you. I was like, I've got to find Tamara. I've got to just, <laughs> I've got to pick her off the stage and just try and have a conversation with her. But fortunately enough, you know, um, I found you, had a chat, and, uh, and we connected. You know, and it was probably one of the probably one of the best agency events I've been to in a long time. You know, so it was really good to kind of meet you there as well. Yeah, and shout out to Spencer. We'll make sure that we tag him in our notes in our show. <laughs> so. Milamo, do you want to give us a bit of a background of how you came to start Tappin? What was the sort of uh, what led up to to you creating the, the the company? And also, if you could just sort of give everyone a, a sense of of what it is that that Tappin does. So, share away your founder story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you know, I think that the first thing to kind of note is I I grew up in Zambia. You know, so I spent the first 11 years of my life in, in Zambia and I didn't really know anything about England. I didn't know anything about Europe. All I knew was, you know, my country and I grew up on this kind of farm that was parallel to kind of this international airport. You know, so there was this massive international airport. It was called Livingston International Airport. And uh, my house was quite literally in the flight path, on that flight path to the airport. So this is so funny. I remember whenever a flight is about to land, the whole house would shake, right? So it got to a point where, you know, I would know that, you know, at 8.20, this is the 8.20 from Johannesburg, landed into Livingston because the house would would kind of shake. And, you know, I think my reality at the time was uh, more on, yeah, I'm in my country. I'm so fascinated by planes because I saw them kind of you know take off and land and then um, eventually my dad got a job in the UK um, as a teaching assistant and he spent probably about three years here kind of working and then you know after a couple of years we went to the UK and I came here and I remember I couldn't speak English I was like the only person in my year six class that couldn't speak English and really and truly it was it was actually pretty difficult because when you were that kid that's just come in, you can't speak English, 
kids can be very mean, you know. Yeah. So uh, I was I was bullied actually a lot because you know I was that fresh kid. I just came, you know, I was a kid that came from uh, um, from a foreign country. I came from Africa, and I got this. Uh, I got I got bullied quite a lot, but that drove me more than anything. It drove me more than anything to to learn English to actually sit my SATs because year six you've got your SATs exams and uh, I actually managed to do better than the same people that were laughing at me because I couldn't speak English you know so I think I got a level five I got a five five four I got five in science five in um, English actually which I was so happy about and I got a level four in uh, in maths and then that just took me on another journey because I was so obsessed with, I was like, why did I get a four? I should have got a five. That took me on a whole different journey through high school where I just became so obsessed with math, maths and numbers and eventually ended up doing like my A-levels early, my GCSEs two years early, and um, then went on to university to do an aerospace engineering degree again because when I grew up, it was those aeroplanes that I saw every day and I was so fascinated with, you know, these massive, you know, uh, uh, machines that could fly. And I was just so amused. So I thought, do you know what? I have to understand how these, how they stay up in the air. Like, how do people travel? And then I ended up doing that degree a few years later in the UK. And then um, went through university. Within the first six months, those kind of questions were answered. And then went on to kind of launch Tapping or at university. And uh, the work that we're currently doing now at Tapping is, you know, we're on this massive mission. You know, Tappin is, is a media company and uh, we're a mission-driven business and we're on this mission to prepare 100 million young people for the world of work, you know, young, diverse people for the world of work. So everything that we do within the business is driven with this massive mission statement, which is just around how can we as a business get up every day and do our best to support young people to get into, into the into the uh the world of work and we do that by working with clients we do that by producing bespoke pieces of content on like social on tiktok on instagram and um it's probably one of the most fulfilling work i've done today that is a, a wonderful story and i think uh, i'm trying to sort of think that mission that you have with the, the hundred thousand did you say hundred thousand did you say hundred million hundred million sorry how are you tracking that have you got um have you got like a, on a board that you're ticking people off in the office? Yeah, no, it's actually a very good question. And I think for us, the first thing that we had to realize and kind of admit is to get to 100 million, we couldn't do this on our own. We have to partner with different organizations. We have to be working with, you know, um, companies that are on the same or a similar mission. So for us, the way we kind of track it is, What's our impact? How many young people have had access to our content? How many young people have viewed our videos this year? How many young people have engaged with us on social media? And we're looking to actually deepen that interaction by kind of building bespoke programs, which we're going to launch um, across the whole globe uh, in the next couple of years. But everything that we're doing, you know, that pertains to this mission statement is always driven with, uh, with young people at the heart. Absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I can't recommend tapping enough. I just think your your team is incredible and the, the content that you produce is, is just amazing. So I'm looking forward to seeing where you take Tappin. And, 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 and I know that you, you founded it, was it 2017, did you say? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's 2017. And uh, <laughs> those formative years are always the most interesting because from 20. 
2017 to about 2019, it was just nothing happened. Yeah. Right? Like, nothing was happening. I was just scratching my head thinking, why isn't anything happening? You know, and then it only, things only started to change when um, I had really good influences in my life. I had, you know, mentors and I knew nothing about mentorship, right? I knew absolutely nothing about mentorship at the time. I just thought, you know what? The narrative that I was taught, I think I was about 2021. At the time you had, you know, really big marketers that were like, you know, you've got to do your hustle culture. You have to raise X amount and build this business quickly. So in my head, I was thinking, I've got to find money from somewhere. You know, so I wasn't thinking about team. I wasn't thinking about culture. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was thinking the first thing I need to do is find somebody to give me <laughs> to give me some cash to actually grow the business. And actually, it was through that pursuit that I met one of the most inspirational people in my life, my mentor at the moment, um, who is a really, really super humble really driven guy called Kunle, uh, Kunle Babarinde, shout out Kunle. And um, I was connected to him by another friend of mine, another colleague. And he was like, look, Kunle's just sold a business. He's got some some spare capital. He kind of, uh, he set me up. He was like, look, he's got some capital. Go and meet Kunle. Went for a coffee with Kunle. And Kunle is very direct, right? So he said to me, Mills, what do you want from me? And I'd never heard that question before. So... <laughs> I uh, I just said, yeah, you know, I'm looking for £100,000 because that was the biggest number at the time <laughs> I could think of. And then um, he came back and he was just like, yeah, Mills, I can't give you that. And he actually laughed. He was like, I can't give you that. But what I can give you is mentorship. I can mentor you. I can look after you. And I was, I was kind of deflated at the time because all I knew was, look, find a... I need the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need the money. Give me £100,000. Let me run with it. But what was actually interesting is in that year of him mentoring me, we made more than £100,000 within the business because the skills, the expertise, the knowledge, the experience that he imparted onto me was such that we could go and actually do this ourselves and it was probably one of the best things that's, that's probably ever happened to me in my uh, my technically business entrepreneurship career, finding a good mentor. So important. And I know that you and I have talked about this before, that importance that those early years, and I think I joked about it, you know, for, for me, it was the, the wilderness years when, yeah. <laughs> when, when nothing really happened, but actually everything is happening because in those those years, it can be tempting to stop and say, okay, maybe this isn't for me and this is difficult or whatever. But because if you're not getting clients coming in from day one, it, it can be yeah. quite stressful and, and you question everything. And and for for me, those early years, I ended up sort of starting the company and then almost felt a bit like a, a bit of a failure in that I had to go back and get more money from doing a day job. But actually, I sort of reframed it in my mind. And that day job became my first client. So I was working with uh, a law firm uh, called uh, Clifford Chance, a massive law firm, but and I was running a project for them. And they understood that I was starting the company. And they, they were really supportive. So essentially, I was doing a nine to five job there to keep to get the revenue in, but they were my client. It just wasn't really a social media client. It was a project management client. However, it meant that the company had revenue coming in. And I, I sort of felt like, actually, I am running a company. I just haven't 
formed the services well to be honest social media didn't actually exist at the time so, <laughs> but I was doing community things but those first years I think you have to own your first start date because that's when you came Absolutely. up with the concept that's when you founded the company officially in company's house and it doesn't really matter if there, there weren't clients immediately because you were you were sort of you know kick-starting everything Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really am a firm believer that those, you know, those early days, the wilderness years, as you call them, um, Tamara, they are probably the most important. Because for me, it was like I came from doing an aerospace engineering rocket science degree and I knew nothing about business at all. I knew like I couldn't pitch to clients. You know, I was turning up. I remember a really funny story, actually. Uh, I... I had about probably like 19 meetings within those two years and 18 of my clients or the, the prospects I spoke to just said, no, we don't want this. And one of them said yes. And that became, you know, a client of ours. And uh, we launched a lot of our campaigns through them. But what was actually interesting was when Kunle started mentoring me, he asked me a question. He was like, so how are you pitching to these clients? Right. So I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going in, I come with my suit and tie, I say hello, I immediately get up and I just show them my presentation and I start walking through the whole entire presentation. And when I'm done, I ask for questions and usually people don't have any questions and they send me on my way. And I thought that was normal. I did that about 18 times. It was on the 18th time that Kunle stopped me and said, look, you cannot be doing that. You have to go into every client relation and have have a conversation, right? Be normal, be natural, be yourself first, and then begin to ask questions, understand their problems first of all, you know, and just listen. And then if your services and your offering fits anything that they're doing or fits any of their problems, then absolutely your solution works. And I, it sounded like the most simplest advice to this day, when I think about it, I'm like, that's like the simplest advice. But actually, I was doing it so wrong. And you're absolutely right, Tamara. In those wilderness years, that's when you learn skills like that. You know, I remember reading a really cool book called um, Blue Ocean Strategy. Oh, yes. One of my favorites, actually. Yes, that's, Tamara's a fan. <laughs> absolutely changed my life. And if you're coming from a typical university background to then, you know, coming to business, there's so much knowledge that there's a massive knowledge gap that needs to be filled. And that's when books like Blue Ocean Strategy were super useful. I'm learning about how to create a blue ocean. How do you differentiate yourself from, you know, pre-existing competition? How do you invest in things like value innovation? And all these really unique things actually led to us rebranding. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on a podcast before, but we were actually called Student, the Student Inspire Network, you know, back in the day. And after reading Blue Ocean and actually having that new knowledge, we then changed and rebranded to tap in. Brilliant. You know, so it was it was really, really important in those formative years. And this drive to support young people to, to get into the workplace and to, and to support companies to get in um, sort of Gen Z and, and, and more diverse teams. How much do you think that came from your experience coming to the UK and being bullied and, and, and not included? Do you, because th- I, I mean, to go from aerospace to that, uh, to where you are now is, is a, a massive squiggle. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, it's, it's one of those things where 
my own personal experiences. And I have to note that I think in my second and third year, I had quite a few internships. So I interned with the likes of, I think I was at JP Morgan, I was at Google. I did some time in kind of M&A and private equity, did some time at McKinsey. And I spent some time really understanding the corporate world, really understanding you know, what impact or what value I could really provide to different organizations. But the beautiful thing about that was it gave me the exposure to understanding some of the challenges that diverse talent actually face in the workplace. You know, um, I worked in insurance. I interned at an insurance company for, I did a summer internship. And I remember that being the first time ever that my race and my ethnicity was actually, I had to actually think about it. And the one event that exemplified that was I started as an intern, walked into that first room. I was the only person, I was the only black person, about 70 interns. And this isn't, this is probably about four years ago, actually. 70 interns, I was the only black person. So I remember thinking to myself, how have they only found one black person in this hall, there's 70 people. How have they only found one black person? So already I had, you know, I was already kind of kind of uncomfortable with the whole situation because I was thinking more must be done here. And then I remember a situation where I was in the office and I walked around the office and people were just kind of looking at me like they've never seen a black person before. And I walked around the whole entire office and every single person was thinking, oh, he shouldn't be here. And in my head, I'm thinking, are they thinking he shouldn't be here? what's going through their head because everybody was looking and although I was given the offer I was given the final offer they gave me a really good starting salary that I really want you I was speaking to like the MDs or like Mills we really want you to start I didn't feel comfortable you know I genuinely didn't feel comfortable and it was the drive from experiences like that that then you know led me to building tapping and thinking actually more needs to be done you know, more needs to be done to, number one, support young people, young, diverse individuals that come from different backgrounds into getting to the world of work, number one. But number two, companies need to have an understanding as to the importance of diversity and inclusion. And, you know, it's it's no good blaming companies or blaming students. Actually, why not be a source of knowledge? Why not be, you know, a source of information? You know, and I think we're now kind of doing some groundbreaking research into black talent and understanding that. And already I think the survey that we've run now has over 2000 black, black uh, student students that have uh, completed it. And it's now officially the largest report into black talent. And for us, it's about how do we broker the understanding that knowledge gap between, you know, organizations, employers, but also how do we make young black individuals understand what they need to be doing to get into world of work. Before you met your mentor, who sounds absolutely incredible, did you have anyone, any heroes, anyone, role models, anyone that you looked up to, whether it was some people you knew or, you know, authors or celebrities or sports people or, you know, who were your heroes? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I remember growing up back in, in, in Zambia when I was super young, I used to be the biggest Bruce Lee fan. <laughs> I loved that guy so much. I would be the kid that I watch like Bruce Lee movies and then immediately I go outside and I try and like <laughs> kick and do certain stunts and all sorts of things. I absolutely loved that guy. 
So I emulated everything that he did. And it's like a lot of what I learned from Bruce Lee, I kind of you know, I exemplified in my own life. He's very disciplined. He trained really hard. Mm-hmm. So I was young, but those kind of principles of working hard, of resilience, of training, he was so disciplined, kind of almost got imparted onto me. And and are there any other people over the years that you've that you've worked with or who've really sort of supported you? Obviously, again, you've spoken about your mentor, but are there others, other people that you'd like to acknowledge? Absolutely. I think my parents have played a massive role in everything I've done to this day. I think seeing them really work hard, both of them are teachers. So my mum's a teaching assistant and my dad is a math teacher, uh, funnily enough. And seeing them work so hard, seeing them instill values of respect, of uh, kindness, of servitude, those principles early on that they instilled in me absolutely helped to shape who I am today and shape everything that I've become. So I'll definitely say my my parents are definitely up there. Their support must have been incredibly helpful when you first moved over because it's a difficult time. Absolutely. My parents were always very encouraging. You know, they were always pushing me to strive for more than I currently could see. And I know I lacked confidence, you know, coming to this country, getting bullied in year six, a lot of my confidence was actually weared off. And, um, you know, having them just kind of encourage me and be like, you can do this. My dad always encouraged me to read. So like I'm an avid reader, like I'd probably read like a, a book or two a week. But he did something really cool when I was young where he would read a book, but then he would he would make it really interesting. I've just read this really book. It's changed my life completely. <laughs> and I was a very excitable kid. I used to love, it was so fascinating by my dad. And, and, and you know, he would make books so, seem so interesting. I'd pick up that book and I'd read it. I'd read another book and be like, oh, this book, this book absolutely is going to change your life. And I'd read it. So... Without knowing it, I got into the habit of reading books and now it's become something that I just do. But I feel like the support that my parents, both my mum and my dad, instilled in me when I was young has really shaped who I've become today. That's that's lovely. And is there any advice that you'd give to to other young entrepreneurs? I mean, obviously, you were you know pretty young when you started tapping. Is there advice that you'd give to people who want to follow that kind of path? I think the first thing is to be comfortable with failure, learn, learn to fail and learn to make mistakes and be comfortable with the notion that you are going to fail, you are going to make mistakes and things aren't going to be smooth. That's probably the biggest thing. And I think one of the biggest differentiators between, you know, entrepreneurs or people that become successful entrepreneurs and, you know, people that do one thing and they say, I can't do it, you know, you shared Tamara earlier about your work with uh, Clifford Chance and you kind of said, look, I kept on going and I got some project work with them and that made me feel like a real entrepreneur. And it's that resilience to kind of be like, I've tried something, let me go back into work and give it another go. That's that resilience that's so important. And I feel like so many young people will, will start things, they'll start businesses, but after the first attempt, it's like, oh, I'm going to give up now. I'm not going to continue with uh, uh, with my idea because it hasn't failed. And I feel like nowadays there's the additional pressure with social media. 
you know, when you're posting things on Instagram, you're posting things on Snapchat, you're tweeting about things, you're producing content around it. People are on that journey with you and failure becomes something that doesn't become as acceptable because you've got so many people watching you. And if you fail, you're not just failing for yourself, but there's like hundreds of people that have been watching you fail. And that pressure mounts even more. But that resilience is is, is super important. So that'd probably be my my advice. And you talk about that pressure and that young people have on social media. And I think, you know, the marketing industry is changing so much. I mean, that's what's, what makes me excited about the marketing industry is it's constant change. But what's exciting you about the marketing industry at the moment? That's a good question. I'd probably say the rise of kind of personal branding. Yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of founders, CEOs, you know, employees, teams, businesses, begin to invest heavily in personal branding. And that's something that I've done myself. I've invested heavily in my personal brand. And it's a trend that I didn't see perhaps two years ago. You know, within the marketing space, you know, a lot of organizations tend to kind of keep to themselves or they might do some PR to kind of share perhaps a campaign or a really successful case study. But what I'm seeing more and more and what I'm really excited about right now is getting to know these people within the marketing space for who they are, getting to know their personalities, getting to know some of their challenges and understanding more about them away from their marketing job. You know, What do they do at the weekend? What do they care about? What are some of their values? Are our values aligned? And it's really interesting that people connect with people. You know, individuals connect with other individuals and if you're able to share your story, your journey, who you are, and be vulnerable, you know, across socials, I don't know if it's on LinkedIn or if it's on Instagram, but people love connecting with people that are human. Mm-hmm. And it's a trend that I'm really, really, really excited about going forward because there are so much opportunities for people to be real and move away from their silos of, we are a great marketing team, we do these amazing things in our silo, but actually... We've struggled to get to, to uh, gain clients over the last two months, and let's t- talk about that story because other people are actually going through the exact same thing, you know. So I'm really, really excited about the the prospect of uh, of personal branding as a trend. I think that vulnerability is is so important, and as you say, it does allow people to connect. I know that it was a big driver for Wendy and I doing this podcast was to allow a space for people to be you know obviously genuine humans and hence the name but it's it it really is quite powerful to to connect I I do wonder if over the last couple of years has it been three years two years in a pandemic I've I've probably (laughs) lost a year (laughs) but um I think that connection it's it's almost like it it's been more uh, allowed for people to be vulnerable and, and share what's what's really going on. And maybe that will be one of the positive outcomes of, of the pandemic. What would you say still needs to change in our industry, though? I think what I've noticed is there are a few things that I would say need to be changed. But I think the most pertinent or the one that's the most obvious for um, for me, I think being a black founder in a predominantly white industry mm. can have its challenges. You know, there, there are always 
opportunities and I think I'm always open to, um, you know, looking at things on the bright side. But I feel like the most obvious one is the lack of diversity within the marketing space. You know, um, I've not, I've probably come across a handful of entrepreneurs or founders or even employees or teams, you know, that look like me, that are diverse within marketing. And I see that more of an opportunity for the industry just because we all know the the benefits of having diverse teams. We all know the benefits of building super diverse teams that can be productive, that can create different ideas. And I think it's even more important in marketing to have these diverse teams because I'm sure we've all seen some of the uh, you know mistakes. We've seen some of the campaigns that have gone out mm-hmm. or be allowed to go out which have not taken diverse perspectives into account. And an agency, a whole entire agency, could literally have some really bad PR because of the lack of diversity, because of lack of understanding certain demographics and producing pieces of content or campaigns that aren't reflective of certain communities. So, you know, away from just the the business sense, there's also the need to have diverse teams diverse marketing teams to build better products but also to be more efficient to deliver value to different levels and to engage and understand differences and I think in marketing it's even more important to have individuals that are diverse to have diverse teams and it would be great also as a function of inspiration just because if you want to get more diverse individuals in marketing have more diverse founders have more diverse teams because then i always say this one thing which is you know you can't be what you can't see Mm -hmm. a lot of the times inspiration comes from being able to see individuals that look like you thriving in a particular space you know it comes from seeing individuals who are doing fantastically in in a space like marketing you look at that as a form of, of of inspiration you look at that And you care about that and you think I can aspire to be that one day, you know. So I think it's really important that we start thinking about diversity and inclusion uh, in a different lens in the marketing space. And that ties back into that personal branding thing that you were saying as well about being a role model, being the the change that you want to see. So I think it all kind of connects of that that will make a difference uh, in the industry. But I agree that it's frustratingly slow to change yeah i completely agree i completely agree and i think personal branding is is an immediate kind of remedy it's also kind of it's short term and it's long term because what you're doing in the short term is you're saying look here are diverse voices sharing their stories but in the long term you're inspiring the next generation you're inspiring other people within marketing to actually do the same you know, to share their stories. And I uh, completely agree to my rights. It's absolutely something that is, uh, uh, that is that should be at the top of the agenda for, for organizations. My last question about tapping is, where do you think you want to take it, say, like in five years' time? What's, what's the sort of the, the vision for the company? For me, as the founder, I want us to see, I want to see the business impact the lives of people first and foremost 
that's the thing that will give us as a business and me as a founder the, the greatest satisfaction. And by impact, I mean, could we impact the lives of young people? Could we impact the lives of the organizations or the clients who we work with? But actually, could we impact the team that we're building? You know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you should build an organization where people genuinely want to be there, build an organization where, you know, people are doing their best work. And when I look at success in five years, that for me looks like the impact that we have made to young people, to our clients, to our partners and to the team that we're building. So I think it's now time to move on to the last uh, final section of the podcast where it gets a bit more personal, but well, maybe not more personal because I think it's already been quite personal, but a bit more lighthearted. So we're just going to ask you a few quick fire questions. Um, So I'll start with what's your idea of a perfect weekend and do you have any guilty pleasures? (laughs) What's my idea of a perfect weekend? Honestly, honestly, it is just reading a book get up early, go to the gym, read a book and spend the whole day either just chilling and not really doing anything. I think for me, I value just switching off, you know, and I'm beginning to value it more and more as I build a business. So just being able to kind of switch off and just do nothing and then come back refreshed um, on the Monday. It's often in those switched off moments that you have your best ideas, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. That's brilliant. Thank you. And if we were to have a look in your fridge, what might we find in there? <laughs> I don't know if I want to say this one. <laughs> so, you can always make it up. We can't see. <laughs> I've been really bad this week. You probably find loads of like takeaway boxes and stuff like that. I've got some Chinese in there. I ordered like a curry the other day. It's been a. It's been one of those. It's been one of those weeks. <laughs> so if you looked in my fridge. You see kind of like takeaway boxes right now because it's been it's been a long week, you know, and I can't wait to start eating healthily again next week. Oh, leftover for dinner tonight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think if you're going to be sort of vulnerable and open, you have to sort of be, uh, you know, share that sometimes you just have bad weeks and you eat takeaways and that that's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Sticking with food, because I think Wendy and I, love food and we always I've just got this philosophy that that business should be done with food uh, if possible so restaurants have you got a bit of a favorite restaurant or or somewhere that you are dying to go to Mm, my favorite restaurant and I'm a big foodie I love I love Caribbean food there is a nice little spot for every Manchester I have got to take you both it's called (laughs) eat and sweet it is the best Caribbean food you will ever have. And it's like my favorite restaurant. It's like the restaurant where, you know, if I need food to kind of pick me up, I will just go to Ian Sweet. The, first of all, like the people there are incredible. I have the most incredible conversations with the staff there. But actually the food itself is just is just so rich. I love it. That sounds amazing. Okay. Yeah, I love that. for going there. Yeah, Manchester, here we come. <laughs> And I know obviously you have a love of planes and I imagine you still have a love of planes. We've all been a bit sort of stuck in our homes for for a while, but um, we can fly again now. Are there countries that you would love to go to that you haven't been to yet? Is there anywhere specific on your bucket list? Mm, That is a very good question. 
it's probably not even a, a country because I grew up watching a lot of these kind of like documentaries about the Drake Passage and Antarctica. I'd probably say Antarctica. It, it's probably like a random answer, but I've watched so many documentaries on National Geographic and Discovery about Antarctica that I just want to go. It's one of those things that I'm really fascinated by. Love it. You're going to need your big coat. (laughs) 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 So if Tamara and I had it within our power to to give you an extra hour every day, how would you spend it? I'd probably spend it with my friends and family. You know, I feel like when you're running a business, there's always problems to solve. There's always things to do. There's always strategy to think about. There's always fires to put out. But I feel like a lot of times, a lot of times I don't get is to kind of spend time with your loved ones, you know, you know, to spend time with my mom and my sisters and my nieces and my nephews. So if I had an extra hour, I would do that. That sounds lovely. And how would your friends describe you? How <laughs> would my friends describe me? <laughs> they would probably say um, hardworking, loving, as in deeply, deeply, deeply caring, and I'll probably also say maybe annoying because I I can be I can be <laughs> I, can't, I can be all over my friends and they're like oh, you're, a bit, you're a bit too annoyed a bit maybe you're a bit too annoyed so I'd probably say those. It's <laughs> a very honest answer. Thank you. <laughs> I think we've discussed karaoke before, but this is going to be my last, obviously very very important question. Do you like karaoke and do you have a go to song? I love a bit of karaoke. Yeah, I love, <laughs> <laughs> I love a bit of karaoke. Uh, my dad used to, like, growing up, he used to have a massive collection of reggae, you know, and uh, Bob Marley was at the top of that list. And I used to love, you know, No Woman, No Cry. No woman, no cry. I could, <laughs> I, I could sing that over and over again. And, yeah, my go-to would probably be Bob Marley. Anything that's Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry, the whole entire playlist, like, I would, I would be all over that. That sounds fab. And I think that might be our first singing that we've had on the podcast tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. So, okay, so we've got to go to Manchester. We're going to do karaoke. We're going to have uh, lovely Caribbean food. We have have plans to make, but we have now come to the end of the podcast. I just want to give you one last chance, Milmo, to, to... Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't asked you or take the opportunity to have some, you know, closing thoughts? I'll probably say some some closing thoughts just as I reflect on the podcast and reflect on the opportunity here to kind of share and speak is that commitment that the marketing industry as a whole needs to make to, you know, attract, to engage, to work with diverse individuals. That's something that sits very, very closely to my to my heart and to my own personal cause. So um if I was going to leave a statement here, I would definitely say, you know, a commitment to marketers, to the marketing industry, you know, to really, really think about diversity and inclusion, to really think about how to build diverse teams and uh, and change the industry for the better. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.